And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome everyone. It is that time again. Our nice, lovely bump shot must get our money's worth. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here in the studio. And uh, the phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, Pennsylvania 65000. The uh, comments are open. The chat is live. If you are watching live, if you're not, you can always leave us a comment after the fact. You can send us an email, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. And if you are listening, or if you prefer to listen to this as a podcast, we do have a number of places available. We call it the Sci-Fi For Me Radio Network. iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Double Twist, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Pocket Casts, where you can find all of that. A couple of programming notes as we get through here today it is 106 january the 6th so episode 106 of salacious crumbs which is normally on tuesday nights we moved it to tonight at 9 p.m eastern 8 central we'll have all of the latest star wars news rumor and idle gossip and then Friday night, we'll be talking about all the news, rumor, and idle gossip on the Ranker Pit, also at 9 p.m. Eastern. Our special guest, Shauna Terpsik, who's the costume designer for The Mandalorian, so be sure to tune in there for that. I almost said, let's turn that off there, I almost said that the phone number was... Uh, Five 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 one two one two. Back in ye olden days, that was the number. If anybody wanted to get uh, uh, get somebody's phone number listing, what listing are you looking for? And I, you know, sometimes miss the old days. Time marches on, however, and uh, it is one of those things where we just have to adjust and adapt. Technology moves forward. Uh, we got word that uh, Twitter has just bought an app called Breaker that's going into their Twitter spaces thing where you can do voice chat now. So things just keep moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. And one of those things that are moving forward, an app for which you can read, on which you can read, comic books, digital comics. It is Macroverse Media. And the people what made the thing join us now. Let's see how we shall do this. Starting up at the top right, Evan Matthews, uh, along with Ricky Rukavina and Adam Martin. And Adam, uh, you're not last because you're bald. You're last because, you know, I just kind of went clockwise there. So welcome to the program, gentlemen. Hang on just a second here. Let me turn that. Thanks. Button. There we go. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, glad to have you. And, and I would say before we started the program, this uh, this presented me with a challenge because I had not had a graphic that allowed for three guests. So, you know, we're constantly improving here and you helped me do that. So thank you. <laughs> 
So glad to be pushing progress forward. I know, right? You know, the development, you're always, always doing more, better, faster. So digital comics are not a new thing. We have uh, comicsology, we've got Webtoon and, and that sort of thing. How does this compare to that, uh, contrast to that? What are, the, what are the mechanics of Macroverse? How do, let's start with how it works, and then we'll get into how you got started with it. Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll just take this first early, early uh, uh, compare contrast. So the biggest thing is really in the format, and this does dovetail, dovetail into why are we doing this? <laughs> um, but the, the biggest thing we realized as creators, and we kind of get into that kind of secret origin story a little bit as well, but we realized that for us, we all have a, a film background or, you know, kind of an entertainment background in different ways. And so as we wanted to create comics content, and kind of looked at what the opportunities and the existing outlets for that were, we didn't really feel like the stuff we wanted to do fit into the format that really existed. And so through a lot of experimentation and kind of trial and error, we landed on what really is the core of the Macroverse experiences, which is what we call the top story format. And so if you think about Webtoons as sort of a web page on your phone where you're kind of scrolling through a long series of images, or you think about Comixology where you're basically putting a PDF on an iPad or kind of panning and scanning from one panel to another, our format is where you tap the screen and, and things change. Right. And so it allows for this much more cinematic experience where we can control pacing, we can control dialogue, we can control the way we're moving through a story or through a sequence or between interactions with characters in an entirely new way, which really does have a more cinematic uh, kind of feeling to it while still being very true to what we believe the heart and soul of the art form of comics fundamentally are, which is it's the com it's it's the the you know putting of images and um and words there to you know create something that doesn't exist if it's just an illustrator if it's just a book it's that a combination of elements that makes comics unique and our approach to that makes this work so how long started and then once we kind of had that ball from the blue of like oh this is new and unique and awesome right then we had to make yeah <laughs> so so how did you guys get all connected into this i mean you you all have similar backgrounds uh, have y'all known each other for a while you you met on the street corner during the yeah. during the doo-wop days or what what how did, <laughs> how did you guys get started? Uh, who, who wants to take the secret origin this time we all, we all have our own flavor of it so um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i guess you, you know we've we so Eben and Adam had known each other for a long time, and I'll let them talk a little bit about that. And the way that the three of us met is um, I've run a game studio called uh, Kung Fu Factory in the past. And um, we we met basically creating games together and the storylines and creating these animated sequences for um, for some of our games that way. And then that led to a lot of different visualizations of how we actually do some of the UI and how we do some of the creation of the actual app and the flow. And it just led to more and more things and collaborating together in a working style. But then we found that we really liked each other and we had like just lots of long, nerdy, intense <laughs> conversations about comics and movies and games and everything you can imagine and um, just have gradually 
had a friendship for I think over ten years now. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So, Adam, so you guys all all survived the crunch days, I guess, then, um, because I hear that's a thing in gaming. Now, my particular thing, I have been uh, out of gaming. I, I like to make the joke that I peaked at the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, so I'm not <laughs> I'm not that well versed in the gaming culture as it exists now, but I do hear about, you know, crunch and the, the 40 hour days and the, and the, and the 300 hour weeks and that kind of thing. Did you, did you guys come from that? Did you have any of that that you had to deal with? And you sat there and said, boy, I don't want to ever go back to that. Sure. Sure. Um, (laughs) I I mean, not only that, but I, all of us come from a film background. So I started in the film industry and, that's equally as crunchy as games, right? You're up sometimes at three in the morning or until three in the morning, or, you know, I had many 48 hour days that I remember um, back in my earlier times when I was just climbing the, the entertainment ladder and, uh, and, and games too were, were very crunchy. Um, but, you know, for me personally, I always, I always like to have a pretty good work-life balance, tried to at least, and then encourage that amongst anybody that I worked with uh, or that worked with us. But, you know, a lot of times uh, people just kind of get into, especially in those industries, they love what they do. So they end up working even more than you ever would have imagined because they love it. But thankfully, I was never part of anywhere even in even in film days where it was enforced that you had to do this, you really, you know, kind of got either volunteered or were just part of the line that decided that they wanted to do more, do extra. So, but crunch, crunch is still still a thing. There's no question. It's always a thing. Getting a product out, you you have got a lot of things that you are always trying to make better. So. Sure. Well, and you, and you talk about getting volunteered. We, we we've coined the term "voluntold" uh, around here, so it's <laughs> yeah. one of those things. I I totally can sympathize with that kind of thing. So, Adam, let me let me let you get a word in here. Uh, Eben talked about how you guys met. Uh, why don't Why don't you give us a little bit of detail how you two got started, and then we'll talk about the yeah. apps. Right. No, that's great. So, I mean, so I've been in physical production, film and TV for years. So you talk about those kind of long days. I think my longest day I saw sunrise, sunset, sunrise on the same shoot day. And that was, that was, that was kind of agonizing. It was a 28 hour day or something crazy straight through. Um, and then certainly, you know, the experience of, of pushing for a, you know, for a, a release or something like that gets exciting. Um, but Eben and I met, so I was in production as an assistant director, 19 years ago now, when Evan actually recruited me into a network marketing company that he was a part of at the time. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we kind of got, got going at that. And then that fairly quickly went kind of by the wayside, but we stayed friends and realized that we both, we were both working, kind of making other stuff for other people. And what we really wanted to be doing was making stuff for ourselves. Sure. Um, and so we started writing together and we wrote a script. I mean, we kind of, you know, wrote a script and got it optioned and, and, and started kind of climbing that ladder. And then in, as we were getting into that world and sharing a love of comics and, and, you know, you know, a lot of the same kind of geeky, you know, fun pop cultural stuff that, that we all share, I suspect, we kind of realized that we had this affinity for this making, trying to make this kind of thing, meeting Ricky then 
with the gaming side really allowed us to kind of expand and, and we started we were kind of one of the early people doing motion comics whatever that was 10 12 years ago uh and really had kind of enjoyed doing that an enormous amount and then that led us into kind of more traditional comics and then kind of on from there so that was the kind of iteration of that of our relationship and then meeting ricky and and building macroverse up i've heard i've heard mention of animation and now motion graphics this this new tap technology is not in motion i I looked through uh, a few things and it's basically you know you're just it's almost like a page turn where you're just tapping to move the story forward are there yeah i could have missed it are there animated elements in any of these books or is that something for later or yeah so we're weirdly not i think you know we're always experimenting with the format and kind of open to trying new things and kind of seeing what we think works but we made a very conscious choice to not include animation sound design you know those sorts of things you know it's kind of extra media elements um in the app at this point and the reason for that is we felt like um you know there's a there's a very fine line between kind of what really delivers the experience of kind of going and, and, and kind of getting immersed story versus getting distracted out of the story. And we actually have early prototypes in some of the stuff that we're developing that did more motion in it or had other media elements because we'd also come from that animation background. Initially, that was the first thought was like, oh, we'll take this and do it over here. But as we started to figure that out, we, we actually found that we wanted you, the reader, to be in control of the experience. And so as you tap the screen and something changes, there's this sort of immersive nature of that where you feel like you're in control of what's happening. You're reading at your own pace. You're, you're getting involved in the, in the story in a way that is not really passive, but really makes you a part of the experience, as opposed to something where there are animated transitions or you know, other types of media, which are you know, something that you have to kind of wait through. And what we saw in other things that are out there as well is that even though that has sort of an initial kind of like, oh, cool, something's moving, um, you know, feeling to it, that once you start to really go through a storyline and spend some time with it, we felt those elements were, you know, really detractions rather than uh, additive to the experience. And so we did kind of make a very, very conscious choice around that, which is not to say that, you know, down the road, there won't be opportunities to experiment. But right now we feel like it's the kind of, the purer version of the uh, (laughs) tap story format. Right. Now it just feels like there's an opportunity there for all of the blam bots to just, you know, pop in at random. Right. You know, the the sound, the sound effects and the the biff pow whoosh things. Exactly. So so Mm -hmm. how, how hard was it to develop this? I mean, if you guys uh, coming from film production, film production doesn't necessarily say I can, I can write code and program an app. (laughs) <laughs> How much of a challenge was it to put all of this together? What kind of research did y'all yeah. have to do? Uh, I mean, the, the fortunate part of that is we, you know, we have a, a variety of experience. You know, Ricky comes from the games world as well as the film world. Part of my background also is in uh, web and, and UI, UX and kind of the, the pieces of how to like put these things together. Um, so I think we were fortunate in that we, you know, kind of, 
I think kind of makes us unique as a as a team in this space as well is that we actually do know how to make a lot of this stuff ourselves. So even though we're not the ones actually writing the code, we have a real clear understanding of, you know, how do these pieces need to come together? Who are the core people that need to come together? What's the process that we need to go through right. to kind of go through the you know early iteration phase all the way to a product that we can you know feel comfortable and confident in, re in releasing? And so you know, I think we were fortunate in that our kind of combined skill set and background you know, gave us a, a way, a pretty clear path forward once we all decided, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably something that makes us a little unique also is the fact that we we do have a lot of this experience in other mediums and, and, and also just in the app world. We didn't just have, oh, here's a cool idea for an app. Let's go see if we can make it for the first time which, um, you know, certainly there's some people that have success doing it, but we've had, I think, success in other places and creating apps before. And that gives us a little bit of a, a, a step up in just terms of we know what we knew what we wanted to do. So um, from the get go, so it hasn't been as hard as if this was maybe our first time doing something, but it's our first time creating our, the, this vision and this dream but we've talked about it certainly for years and years. And then I think even just the fact that we've collaborated together so many times makes a lot of this really easy too. Now, when you guys talk about, you know, the things that you wanted to do with it, was there a conversation uh, besides, okay, we're not going to do motion graphics. Was there a conversation on looking at other digital comics platforms, things like Comixology and Webtoons and going through and saying, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We like this idea. Let's steal that. Was there was there any of that cherry picking from other places, uh, both in figuring out what to include and what not to? Uh, I for sure. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I would just say that you know, cherry picking definitely not. I, I think it's more from a standpoint of. You know, we, we are, haven't really been able to have the experience that we would want. And so we wanted to create that first and foremost. And then I think if anything, we're looking at other, there's a, the, the things that inspire us are other apps, you know, whether it's Instagram or whether it's Snapchat or it's games. So, um, and of course, just stories in general, Netflix and, and um, you know, HBO Go, when it was HBO Go, those types of things, those right. those were really the inspiration. Yeah, less less cherry picking from other comics apps and more just mm -hmm. looking at where we felt media and entertainment in general, you know, were going. And it's it is actually, you know, there's a there's a big part of this which is sort of born from um, you know, part of a part of the backstory is is putting together a graphic novel series for a movie called The Boondock Saints and doing that in, in a traditional way. So anybody that knows that film, you know, we, we packaged and put together this uh, this whole graphic novel. And so going into the kind of direct market with that project and finding the publisher and doing distribution with Diamond that anyone you know is familiar with comics, you know, may know Diamond is sort of the singular point of distribution for the entire comics industry, dealing with retailers, getting into bookstores, doing the convention circuit. So we had this, you know, kind of incredible experience in traditional comics with this project. And we also came out of that and you know, lifelong comics fan here, you know, so love comic stores will always support comic stores, but we really came out of that experience going like this industry has got some fundamental challenges. It's kind right. of a 50 year old business model that 
doesn't seem to want to change or evolve. And so a big part of the early conversations really came from that, which was, you know, if we were going to do more of this, what would we want that to be like for ourselves? And then after talking to a lot of creators, what would we want that to be for them? And how can we kind of help creators develop the next generation of not just their material, but really what does the business look like? How does this support people in doing this thing that they love and giving us the stuff that we love? Um, you know, from a storytelling and, and creative standpoint. And so, you know, that became a lot of the early thinking was like, where, how, how do we address not just the creative side, but also the business side? How do we, how do we build something that is what we want, but is also a platform for, you know, other people who are doing amazing work and that we can kind of help, uh, you know, develop what we really believe is sort of the next generation, the next iteration of kind of where comics have to go um, to not just survive, but to really thrive. And I'll, I'll stop talking momentarily because I do have a tendency to kind of <laughs> go off. But, but you know, the, the thing that I think is so fascinating in the comics world right now, and again, sort of, you know, no, no, uh, not down on the direct market, but I think the, the places that you can see the biggest growth for comics, there's, there's, no, there's no dwindling of the audience for comics. The audience for comics has never been bigger, but the access to the direct market has never been smaller. And COVID has only made that more, you know, extreme. Right. So, you know, you see Webtoons, which has 100 million readers, literally had a 100 billion page views last year. So, I mean, the audience is gigantic. And then you've got the YA graphic novel side of the world, which is also exploding. So here's new characters, new creators, new ideas on these two sides of the, the industry that are exploding. And then there's this sort of piece in the middle, which, you know, again, we'll always love, but doesn't seem to be you know, innovating in the same way. Yeah, and you, so we felt like you know we could be the platform for again sort of the next generation to you know deal with deal with not just the creative but also how does this become a thriving piece right. of the uh, entertainment landscape. I will now shut up. No, that's right. that, that's <laughs> right. Well, because you mentioned you mentioned Diamond and that being the single point of distribution for a number of years in this in this old model of distribution, and we saw DC taking steps to change that on their front and it you know it was met with a certain amount of consternation and pushback and yeah. you how dare you how dare you um but you know we've heard over the years plenty of complaints about how diamond uh, constantly drops the ball in terms of their shipping and their tracking and and packaging and that sort of thing so you, you you mentioned the the marketplace being really big and people keep saying, well, you know, the comics industry is is in great shape and it's really right. not from the standpoint of the physical books. Yeah. And DC and Marvel seem to be behind the curve. You know, your bigger, more traditional publishers, DC, Marvel, Image, uh, IDW, Boom and, and Dark Horse, those those guys don't seem to be ready to make as many changes as possibly they need to make. And of course in Marvel and DC, we're starting to see all these layoffs here over the last six months. And yes, they're leaning into digital and the YA stuff and leaving the periodicals, the monthlies, the floppies, the, you know, the monthly issues pretty much by the wayside. And a lot of people are sitting there, you know, I've been, we, we, I've been a DC DC reader for all my life and now they're leaving me behind. I want a book. I want a physical book. I don't want this digital. Have you guys run into a lot of pushback from people who prefer, 
I want a book. I can turn the page. I can feel the paper and can smell the ink. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to only say one thing and then somebody else should talk, but <laughs> the, 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 um, not, not really. And I think the reason is, I think the reason you get a lot of that pushback prior to us is that mostly digital has been an approximation of a physical object. So, you know, comicsology in particular is like, here's the physical thing. Here's a digital version of it. Right. The biggest thing that we're doing differently is everything is custom crafted for the phone. So like this is the experience. It's not a approximation of something else. And then we do see a place for print as well, which I will turn over to Adam or Ricky to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think and I think to, to you know piggyback on Evans, what I was saying it is I think what we the, the unique thing that we're able to do is introduce the concept of kind of time into the reading of the of of a of a book. And I think what that really, and the, the other, and then, so there's that. So you are, in, you as the reader are in control of the pace of the storytelling. You can take, dwell as long as you want to on the, on the page or not. Um, but the other thing that we can do that I think is really special and adds to that cinematic quality everyone was talking about is dialogue. Because, you know, on a, you know, if you've got your printed page, there's simply physically only so many words on that page you want to put in before it starts to obliterate the art and detract from the storytelling that way. Whereas because we can, you can hold on the same image and we do this kind of quite often or cut to and fro between two images with a real kind of conversation going, mm -hmm. you get to play you the, I think once people start, I think there are, there are several people who have the initial reaction, ew, digital. And then once they start to play, and we've seen this with a couple of reviewers, we had we launched a project called uh, Phobos in October, and we actually had a couple of reviewers saying, um, "I hate digital, and actually this makes me a convert because you get to play with dialogue in this way." And it was actually it was a couple of years ago. I think it was talking to one of other creators, uh, an actor called Paul Shear, who had seen an early version, a kind of beta version of our uh, of, of the of the of the app, and he came in talked with him and was like you can tell jokes in this in a way that you can't on a normal book. Like, you, you know, you can really go bump, 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 punchline. And right. if that's how you want to play it. And that he was so excited. I think that really clarified for us one of the true distinctions of what we are doing versus the physical page. And as Evan said, it doesn't, it, you know, none of this is to say that we aren't interested in print as well, because the, the, and I think because we all share like the beautiful weighted graphic novel, like this is something beautiful and tangible and something we are is absolutely part of where we're going is one, you know, but are we just feeling like we go digital first, access a wide audience, and then we produce these beautiful books on the, you know, kind of as a secondary, you know, after we've collected enough that we feel like we can release one. Um, and that satisfies potentially both sides of the market, uh, both sides of the audience, you right. know. How much? I'll also, how I'll much also add to that. I think I think an important point um, in in just this conversation, right, is this idea of digital versus physical. And if you look at you know lots of different markets, um, let's just take music for instance, right? Music uh, had a leader, which was vinyl, and then CDs, and of course before that there were tapes and all that kind of thing. Right. Um, but now it's for the most part, it's it's really a digital business. However, there's still a vinyl component to it. Um, and then you can look at the disruption that happened between, say, iTunes and Spotify. I think we're leaning more towards Spotify, right? Because we we can, we're looking more towards, you know, how do we service creators? How do we service creators in a way that they feel empowered 
and they're not encumbered by, you know, distribution. They're not encumbered by the fact that it's harder for them to get a physical book out or for them to be in a store or to reach their audience. And so naturally you're going to have this evolution of digital where things are digital and I can get them quicker. There's a component of time like Adam talked about, but we're able to do test things, do things differently. There's analytics that become involved where you get to measure your audience, which for some creators is really interesting and a fascinating part of, you know, how they get to see what's resonating with people and get to have even more contact with their, their audience and to understand how they're, how they're touching people and what really um, creates an audience for them as creators and then connecting creators with other creators who are able to do really interesting things there. So there's this natural evolution, I think, that happens with um, just physical going to digital, which is what we've embraced, but more from a creator mindset uh, as opposed to anything else. And knowing that, yeah, for sure, they're always going to be a physical component. But right now, you know, our belief is um, Macroverse is a really great solution for creators and for digital content and for consuming it. And there's a lot of bottlenecks that we see right now, whether it's distribution or whether it's, you know, people getting laid off, you know, how are we creating jobs for people? How are we creating an opportunity for somebody new to tell a new story that's been harder for them to get through an image or get through a DC? That's who we want to be. That's, you know, we, we have an amazing creator, Jason Brubaker, who, you know, created this series and got an Eisner nomination out of it. And for, and it was because it was digital and that's a first time thing for him. And, you know, we'll probably do more of those types of things. That's what's really exciting about digital as opposed to, oh, you know, there's always gonna people, be people that want the physical object, just like a vinyl record right. and we'll give it to them. There'll be an opportunity for that, but you know, it's gonna it's it's gonna be something that shrinks, and that doesn't mean it's a it's an old dead audience. It means that you can make really cool, amazing, beautiful physical books that people are really excited to collect, and maybe they're limited, and there's a lot of care that have been that, that has went into it. But then we can, more importantly, open new stories to wider audiences, open opportunities for creators to reach people and. And even more importantly, open opportunities for first timers, for people that have the next Walking Dead to tell or the next Stranger Things to tell. So that's what's, I think, really exciting about just, you know, how do you move from physical to, to digital? So, and I'll stop. No, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> You're here to all of that. Yes. <laughs> well, okay. Now, are these, uh, you mentioned the independent creators, are these creator owned titles then, or do you guys own a piece of it or you're just the distribution platform? Yeah. So it, it, we actually work in kind of three different models uh, and we have, so, so one thing I should say, you know, that, that is a lead into this. And it, this is, this goes to your, your cherry picking conversation a little bit. So one thing we didn't want to be is YouTube for comics, which is kind of how we see webtoons. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of great content on there, but it's, it's almost too much. It's become, you know, very hard to break through the noise. It's sure. very hard to monetize for creators. It's, you know, great platform, not particularly what we wanted to build. 
Um, so we always say, you know, if that's YouTube, we're building HBO. Here's the premium alternative to that. Super high quality, very curated, really working with creators directly to help them build stuff that we think is great, that they think is great. So, you know, we're not an open platform, not just anyone can, can come and publish on Macroverse. Um, but we are very inclusive in that we'll look at anything, we'll talk to anybody, we'll kind of explore, you know, what the opportunities are between us and anybody that's interested in working with us. So that's a, a way of getting around to, we basically work with creators in three models and it depends on kind of what their interests are, what our interests are and kind of how we ultimately want to work together. So the, the bottom, the, the first one is what we kind of consider the image model, which is they maintain all the underlying rights. We become the distribution and publishing platform for that, and we share in the success of the series on the platform. Uh, but they still, you know, maintain their their underlying IP. Um, we are in a position because of our background and connections where we do offer creators the opportunity to also kind of let us take stuff out and show it to people. So we do have a kind of a, a direct way of getting stuff in front of you know film and television and kind of ancillary you know opportunities that can come from that so that becomes a win-win there as well uh, and the second model is what we call our co-production model which you think of a little more like what boom typically does um, so if we invest some money into a particular project we do get some of the ip for that we essentially become partners in the ip in the in the I hate the word hate using the term IP so right. in the in the, the project in the, in the in the story <laughs> um, so you know we become partners in that project and we really do become partners so we will do everything we can to support that person telling the story they want to tell because generally that's the reason we you know got excited about it in, in, the, in the first place but we'll really work with them directly to help them make sure that things are you know really maximizing the format. We'll do marketing together. We'll kind of really make a, a plan where we're you know, building out this project um, you know, as, a, as a collaboration. And then the third tier, and this is where we see you know, more stuff happening over there, especially this year and going forward, is original content. So you know, stuff that we're either incubating internally, uh, entirely, or people that have come to us and, you know, with a great idea, but don't necessarily care about you know, having a piece of it, rather get paid more. Uh, and then in that case, you know, we, um, you know, end up owning the, the story and then still kind of going through that collaboration process. So it really falls into one of those three buckets, depending on who the creator is, what their interests are, what our interests are, and kind of how that ultimately all fits together. Now, have you had conversations with uh, indie creators who are using the crowdfunding model? Uh, we've sure. got uh, quite a bit of yeah. success on both Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Yeah. Um, I know uh, Alterna Comics, Peter Smitty, has been talking to a few of them uh, about publishing after the okay. fact. So the, the crowdfunded book comes out, the book gets delivered. Now we go into the more traditional, let's break it out into monthly issues, you know, one, okay. two, or three. Have you had conversations with anybody about doing that sort of thing where you take a, yeah. take a book that's already out somehow – and adapt it for the app and how hard is it to do that kind of a of a format conversion yeah the the cool thing is we've really figured that out um so the adaptation process is something that we've spent a lot of time and energy kind of getting into we've got a whole team that helps support that so we generally teach the creators themselves kind of how to do it but we'll support that process you know from start to finish um, you know, we typically get very hands-on for the first, you know, few episodes to really make sure that they kind of know how to think about it, or at least how we think about it so that they can then, you know, kind of do the thing they want to do. 
Um, but we have that very, very dialed in. And so several of the projects, actually a, a number of the projects on the platform are adaptations of existing material. And that was where we started. So we started with an original project. We did we did all of our R&D with our own you know, original series yeah. called Headtown. We'll have to pimp momentarily. Um, but then uh, second, the second wave was you know, creators that had existing material that we felt like would make sense on the app. Um, and one of the places that we did look were successful uh, crowdfunding campaigns. And we felt like that was a smart, you know, win-win in that here's someone that's got an audience of some size that was willing to spend some money to, you know, support what they were doing. And so that felt like it made sense for us to, you know, join forces and, and bring that into our format. And again, sort of really make it feel like it's native uh, in our format, which is always our goal. Like you shouldn't be able, if we've done our job, you shouldn't be able to tell which things were adapted and which things were not adapted. There's there, you know, there's that level of kind of craftsmanship in, in what we're doing. Um, but Ricky mentioned Jason Brubaker, who we've been fortunate enough to now do two series with, and we won't officially announce, but we will say that we're doing something else with him coming uh, later in the year. Um, and he's, you know, all of his, uh, his projects have been funded on Kickstarter. So, you know, Remind was his first graphic novel project that was, you know, funded. He did a five, uh, a five volume, uh, second series called Sithroy, which was all funded. This latest project called Phobos is all funded. So that's really been his kind of model as a creator is all crowdfunding. And he's, you know, he does these sort of beautiful hardcover books. So, you know, in working together, we've now become the exclusive digital home for his material. And then we've got these kind of, you know, exactly what we're talking about, kind of digital and collectible um, sides of, of his work. Um, so it's it's that that sort of stuff's been very rewarding. And the the fun part for us has been, you know, with people like him to see the adaptation or to work with us on the adaptation and ultimately go like, wow, like this is every bit as good as it is on the printed page. It's just different. And that's one of the things that we love is it's we feel like it's not even competitive. It's like two different experiences of the same material. And therefore, it's, again, not like a PDF on an iPad. It's like something actually different and unique. Right. Now, those conversations that you've had with with creators who have used crowdfunding, uh, ultimately, I would imagine at some point uh, there's the consideration of comics gate or not and i know that that becomes a thing of some people you know using that as you know the litmus test of whether i want to buy this book or support this book or not do you have any concerns that any particular creators you're having discussions with would bring the baggage that comes with that that battle I mean, whether they're on one side or the other, completely immaterial, it's just, oh, oh, well, this is a comicsgate creator or this is an anti-comicsgate creator. How active they are yeah. in their, you know, vocal, vocally and, and active on social media saying one thing or the other. Do you have concerns about any of that kind of spilling over into what you guys are doing? Um, I, I'm gonna, I mean, I, I think we can just flat out say, like, we're 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 pretty not for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we're not, uh, you know, we're not, we're not going out and, you know, specifically saying we're pro or con individual creators or individual projects, you know, more power to anybody that's, you know, figuring out a way to do the thing they want to do. But I think as far as what we are doing, um, you know, frankly, like we don't want 
to be working with people that are participating in anything that is, you know, driving other people out of the industry or, uh, you know, being particularly negative towards other creators. Like that's just not part of our DNA. and It's not part of what we want to be participating in. Right. All right. Sounds good. Now, any, any other plans for things other than comics for this app? Magazines, publications, essays, white papers. I mean, what what else? What else could you use this for? I mean, we have. I don't know if we want to talk about that just yet, but we do have some ideas and things that you know we want to experiment with, and you know, we'll, we'll roll out that we think you know are unique, but but also would be embraced by anybody that just loves stories and loves content and loves pop culture or loves, you know, certain types of creators. So there's some pretty unique things that we think we can do. Um, you know, things that involve, you know, podcasts and where just where technology and where content is going and um, where it is now. I think we're going to be able to do a, a bunch of things like that and, and have that on our slate right now. Yeah, I, I think without without giving any anything away, we do have a pretty extensive roadmap for where we think this all goes. Um, and I think that the core piece, which I think I can say with without uh, without getting too um, explicit with our maniacal plans, um, is uh, <laughs> is that you know we we fundamentally think of ourselves as storytellers, as creators, as people that want to make you know the next Game of Thrones, not counting the last season. Um, you know, the, the, you know, we, we see ourselves as, you know, those types of creators and, and both in the material that we're interested in making ourselves, but also in the material that we're interesting, interested in you know, boosting and collaborating with people on. Um, and so I think from that point of view, you know, we've always kind of taken this approach that each piece of a story, you know, may have a, a desire or an opportunity to live in different mediums and in different formats. And so I think what gets really interesting looking long term is how those things may play together. Um, and it speaks to kind of the variety of our backgrounds as well, where, you know, we've done animation and we've done games and we've done film and TV and we've done other types of publishing and other types of interactive experiences. And so we've got this very broad you know, skill set to pull from. And so as we start to kind of look at not the necessarily just the platform, but really more specifically each story and each franchise, kind of looking at, you know, where where does that go and how does that ultimately evolve? And I think there's a lot of really interesting, exciting things that we're thinking about, but I think will also just be, you know, kind of natural extensions as we grow. You mentioned print being a, a potential extension of this. You're talking about some different things here. Um, you mentioned Walking Dead, Game of Thrones. There are some who are uh, concerned, uh, have have criticized certain comics creators, basically saying, you should be writing a comic book, you should not be writing the audition for the Netflix deal. Is there, uh, in terms of priorities, are you actively looking for the media adaptation potential on some of these projects, or is it just, we want to put out a good book, a tell a good story. And if the, if the Netflix things happen, it happens. Are you, are you actively pursuing any of that at this point? So I think yes is, is both is the answer to both of those things. Um, I, I honestly, I think it's a little bit, 
I think it's a it's a thing that people kind of feel feel good about saying to, to say that you should be writing the book and not the pitch for the movie or the TV show. But I think it's a little ingenuous. I think we live in a world where, you know, every cool comic is getting optioned or licensed, you know, for something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's an awareness of that. And I think that the difference is whether or not you're approaching the material like I'm just you know, this is my pilot and this is how I'm going to sell this to film and TV. I think those are two different things. So I think we are absolutely thinking about where these things go as franchises. It's part of the thing we talk about, you know, internally as part of the thing we talk about with creators. Because, I mean, when you get right down to the bottom of it, who doesn't want to see their awesome thing turned into an animated series or into a cool show or into, you know, a game or, you know, these other things. I think it's, I think it's kind of a lie to say that, no, this should only ever be a comic and that's all I ever wanted it to be. Like, I don't think that's really true. Um, but I do think, you know, we as creators and the way we talk to other creators really is lean into the thing that you're making, lean into the things that it does really well. Lean, you know, like take the take the strengths of each medium and use that as the focal point for the creative energy or the, the, the work that you're doing. So if it's going to be a comic, make it the best comic it can possibly be. If it's going to be a podcast or an audio series, make it the best version of that that it can be when it goes to film or television animation make that the best version of it that can be. So, you know, it's, it's less, it's less kind of, let me just do my movie as a comic. And it's more, you know, how do I do the best version of this in this format, in this medium, while having some awareness that, you know, in a perfect world, we want to see these things expand, you know, all over the place. Um, You know, I would, I would, I would, you know, unabashedly say, I think Marvel is the best at that um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, although, you know, some some might say that the publishing has actually been the piece of it that suffered, you know, to some degree. Um, but um, but I think, you know, that's that's more of kind of our thought process. So it's like, yes, you know, we're absolutely looking at other media. We're actively engaged in some of those conversations, but we don't look at everything we do as, you know, the audition. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying, like, certainly for the stuff that we create, us, our own kind of original original you know, stories that we're trying to tell. We approach, I think because of the film and TV background, we always kind of organically approach those as if they are a five season TV show. That's kind of the framework in which we hold things. So it's like, great, we kind of story wise will map out, okay, well, season one is this and season two is this and season three is this and season blah, blah, blah. What are the stories we want to tell? What are the character arcs going through that? Who's doing? We kind of work all those things through. And then, exactly as Evan said, we turn around and we approach the creation of our our original content, obviously, mostly in this case, you know, our, our kind of flagship one for us is Dead Town. We approach that from a very kind of cinematic filmmaking point of view. It's like, great, if we were shooting this thing, how would we frame this? What would we do? Then what can we do in the printed work? In, sorry, in the in the kind of in in you know the 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 art that we couldn't do in traditional film and television? How can we tell this story in unique ways? Um, so I think where there is that kind of cross pollination between the two things, but exactly as Evan said, it's you know our, our approach is this is follows the TV model, but that absolutely means we are trying to tell the best possible story in this format in this medium um, without necessarily looking beyond that. That also that also yeah. kind of speaks to the fact that you know what's kind of makes us a little bit unique. All three of us on on here is. We're also in the trenches, right? We're 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 creating stories ourselves too, for our platform, that will either you know, be at the top or be at the bottom or somewhere in the middle. Like it's up to us to tell great stories, and I think at the same time, 
Sure. You know, like Kevin said, of course, we'd, we'd love to see some of these things turn into games or into movies or something like that. But then maybe maybe a story will come along, you know, that is more precious, like, say, um, Art Spiegelman Mouse, right? Something like that. Maybe, you know, you, you create something or we work with a creator and it needs to be done in such a particular way. And that and and it just has this quality to it that it shouldn't go anywhere else that that yeah. that could happen but yeah. i think again it kind of goes back to our feelings about how we how we want to work with creators and 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 how we are working with creators and and being creators is you never know like be open and and let's see what possibilities can come as opposed to immediately being closed that this will only be x well maybe let's decide that after we've created something because I do think a lot of times people, they say those types of things before they've actually created anything. They put this stamp on something of how it has to be as about uh, as opposed to how something could be. And um, I think if we can look at things from that kind of a lens, everybody will be, you know, really, really successful and ultimately really happy creative, being a creative person, a creative soul. And point, point of clarity there too, we're, we're not evaluating projects based on whether or not we think they yeah. you know, can go on to film sure. or something else. That's not, that's not the lens through which we're looking. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it is part of the larger you know, kind of landscape for the company for sure. Now going back the other way, when you're dealing with something like Boondock Saints, for instance, yeah. uh, you have something that's got an established universe. It's got an audience already that's out there. Yeah. Does that bring additional pressure to get it right? Because now you have now something that's already out there by yeah. which people are going to compare. They're going to look and they're going to say, apple, orange <laughs> or apple? Is this right. an apple or an orange? You know, they're going to compare the two. Is there yeah. extra Is there extra pressure on you guys when, when you're in those story universes? I mean, I think I think to a degree that's fair. I think with Boondock Saints, to to as a as a very specific use case. I mean, the you know Troy Duffy, who's the writer director of the films, also co-wrote the comic series. He was there every step of the way. So, I mean, in that particular case, it was it really is his story. You know, that's also being told in this other format. Um, so less so in that kind of a case where you've really got the buy-in, the original creator, and you know. Fans may love it or hate it, but you can certainly say it's in canon and it's in the voice of, you know, the the thing that uh, was originally created. Um, yeah, so you, you you know you can we can get into uh, George Lucas territory there, but um, but but you know I think that the, that becomes a it, to answer your question, like when you've got that buy-in from the kind of originator of the source material, it's perhaps a little bit different than if you're just you know licensing something and you know, trying to then do justice to it. Right. Um, you know, Ricky's done a bunch of that on the game side. So maybe there's something to, uh, to color that with there too. Yeah. I, I, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, definitely have done a, a bunch of different adaptations in my day. Um, and really, you know, the, the first ones that come to mind are some of the earliest things I did Scarface and the thing. And really that came from the standpoint of movie games are typically really crappy I love these movies. <laughs> I want to do something great and something that could be really cool. Yeah. And, you know, br brought it to my boss at the time and said, you know, this is one of my, the thing. This is one of my favorite movies. Here's what I think we could do. This trust fear thing and this game mechanic and around it. And it was really 
it just felt like you had a lot to work with and a lot of pressure uh, and not a lot of pressure, just a lot of freedom to create something from something that I already thought was so great. And Scarface was very similar. And I'm sure I could, you know, there's licenses and people that we've worked with. Um, I think it's really fun to try to figure out how do you fit within that world. We've worked with, um, you know, Adventure Time and the creators, you know, uh, of that. And even those types of things, they began to really trust what, you know, the voice was once they saw, oh, you know, this guy really gets it or, you know, this team really understands the voice that we are trying to say. So I think having some respect and reverence for the product is is really important. Um, but then also finding what what's your own way there with the material that ultimately is serving the audience and people that really love it. So if you're rehashing stuff, nobody nobody likes that. But if you're coming up with something really clever and something cool that they haven't thought of, like, you know, Mandalorian is the best, most current example um, where it just hits all the right notes, but it feels extremely fresh. Um, and then you see it and you think, oh, this is so obvious. Um, Western, you know, Samurai, uh, you know, Kurosawa, just go right. back to the inspiration mm -hmm. that right. George had and um, you'll be able to, to, to hit these brand new notes. So I personally have found it really rewarding and refreshing and very freeing as opposed to feeling lots of pressure to deliver something. Um, and I, I'm sure that will continue as we make some more of those. Are you concerned about uh, any kind of um, criticism response? Uh, because depending on what kind of story are you are you looking at only pg-13 or or you know all all ages family are you guys open to everything because you know the most recently we had with top uh top hat studios responding to the blowback about their their game hitting nintendo switch you know calling for censorship you know censorship and oh this is this is bad you know this kind of thing uh, are are you worried about any kind of circumstance where people are going to look and say, "Well, that's just not appropriate. You shouldn't be publishing that stuff." What what's what kind of plan do you have to handle that kind of thing if it if it happens? Well, I think we 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 fundamentally, I think every, everything Ricky said a moment ago fundamentally comes to a belief that we have good taste. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, hopefully, we're right about that. Um, so I think, you know, we're, we're looking at everything through the broadest spectrum of, you know, really not saying it needs to fit into a particular category or another, but rather just is it good and do we respond to it? Um, and, you know, so I think, you know, there, there may be people that love something that we don't respond to and more power to them. They'll, they'll find it where it lives and there'll be stuff that maybe we, you know, miss the boat on or, you know, whatever those, those things may be. Um, but you know, ultimately we just want good stories. So if those are good stories that have some, you know, themes or elements that are pushing boundaries, but are also inherently part of the story and what we think makes that story good, then great. And if it's stuff that's, you know, very all ages and family friendly, but also inherently part of the story, great. There's, there's room for all of that in the macroverse. 
And I was saying yeah. just here. And from, I think that's from, reflected in the content we have and what we have on the app right now. Like we have a, you know, everything from kind of hard R-rated horror to absolute kind of small, you know, humorous kind of comic, you know, almost like Sunday comic strips, as it were, to everything, you know, Miyazaki-esque, you know, uh, or fantasies, PG fantasies. I mean, we've got everything in between. So. Right. Now, is there anything that you don't want to see on this app in terms of your submissions policy? You, I mean, you're open to people submitting their work and saying, hey, can, let's let's consider this. Uh, and, and I'm seeing a number of genres, like you say, there's Western, there's science fiction, there's there's horror. Anything in particular you're saying they're going, yeah, there's there's too much of this out there already. We don't need any more of this. The only thing I can think of, I don't think it's that there's too much out there already is, you know, we're just, I think we're probably not quite in the erotica business. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 and then the only other thing I would say is, you know, I think for the most part, and this is not to say that people should not get, send us ideas about this if they've got things they think are great, but we're mostly not doing superheroes. Like that, that's the one thing where it's like, you know, if you, if you want to do superheroes, I mean, there is a ton of awesome ones out there and we love all of them, but it's, you know, I think there really needs to be a new idea there um, for it to be something that we get particularly excited about. Yeah. So what's next? Uh, you have a number of projects that have been announced stuff that's rolling out. Uh, you've hinted at some plans and schemes for world domination. Hopefully they're not going to yeah. roll over into our world domination. Plans. Uh, so, but what's, what's next on the horizon for you guys in terms of new, new stories that are coming out, new uh, add-ons, new features. What's, what's coming here in the next six months say? Yeah, it's going to be an incredibly exciting 2021. So I will, uh, I'll just, I'll just mention a few titles based on what's immediately next. So, uh, next week on uh, the 18th, we're launching a new series called Pop Star Assassins, uh, which is very fun. It's this, uh, you know, kind of 70s, 80s vibe. Um, it, I, I will say, imagine Elvis as a secret agent. Um, it's not quite what the story is, but it's got that vibe to it. And it's very, very, very cool. So excited about that one. Uh, there's another series launching the week after that. So on the 21st called Rock Mary Rock. Um kind of an all ages book. Rock Mary Rock is a lot of fun. It's about a little girl who uh, discovers a guitar lost in her grandmother's basement and is then haunted by the world's best guitar player whose guitar that belonged to. Um, lots of fun. Um, and then a couple of season two. So we do think in kind of TV terms as far as how we break down the kind of blocks of stories. So a couple of season twos are launching over the next couple of months. We've got uh, Seasons, season two, which is a little tongue twister, but great series called Seasons, um, which actually does kind of go into the superhero territory a little bit. But the concept for Seasons is, you know, what if every literal season of your life, you develop a new superpower and how does that impact your life, your progression? It, it's kind of a personal take on uh, what it might be like to have to deal with your own, deal with your own baggage through the lens of, of superpowers. Um, and then there's a season two of a series called Glitch, which is one of our favorites and actually one of the earliest that we launched, which is also continuing here in the first quarter. Um, Glitch is a sort of all ages. They, they pitch it as a, a what if Mad Max was a YA series. Um, so lots of fun for Glitch. 
And then I'll just uh, a few more coming up over the course of the next handful of months. We will continue a series that we love called Aerosol, which is this incredibly cool kind of street art graffiti vibe. You know, super, it's a sci-fi supernatural story where art is kind of the source of magic and power in the world, which is very, very cool. Uh, we mentioned a new project from Jason Brubaker, who we got nominated for the Eisner with uh, last year. Um, and very excited about that. We can't say what it is yet, but very excited about that. Um, our own series, Dead Town, also continues uh, over the next handful of months. So Dead Town Season 2 will be launching somewhere in the first quarter. And then I just have to mention three other series that are uh, in progress and two that are complete, which are great places for people to jump in and kind of see what we're doing. So Hex 11 Season 3 is coming. Um, Hex 11 is sort of this idea that magic and technology have melded. So you can kind of download magical abilities and that sort of thing, which is also very cool. Um, they, they pitched that as uh, Blade Runner meets um, uh, Harry Potter, oh, okay. uh, which is very fun. Um, Gun Candy is a series that we adapted from our good friends at 12 Gauge Comics. Uh, people will especially note that uh, the art is all by Brian Stalfreeze, who people would know from Black Panther with Anahasi Coates and tons of you know, Marvel DC, tons of Batman covers, Shadow of the Batman, just amazing artist, um, very fun story. That one is complete, so you can jump on and binge the whole thing. And then for those people that like indie weird stuff, which I am one of those people, we've got this awesome series called Basic Space. And the thing I love about it, so the creator for Basic Space, he released it as a zine, um, and then he brought it to Macroverse and really remastered the entire thing for Macroverse. So it's it's you know re, he's redone a big portion of it. He went back in and kind of recreated different parts of the art for it. But the concept for Basic Space is he th this creator. Um, essentially sets a challenge for himself with every project. And the challenge for this project was stream of consciousness comics. So it's somehow all completely comes together in the end, but he literally just starts, you know, the whole thing was just like, okay, what happens next? Okay, what happens next? Okay, what happens next? And he goes in these very interesting, funny, weird, tangent, you know, kind of plot that somehow all manages to make sense. So it's a lot of fun and really has the kind of 90s indie you know, vibe to it, which is really cool. Um, so there's a handful of things that, you know, we've got a lot more, but there's a handful of things that we really love and, and would recommend people checking out. All right. And the website macroverse.media and the app can be downloaded, I'm assuming, both on Android and iPhone, uh, Apple. Yeah. Uh, so uh, feel free to check that out. We do have the link to the website in our show notes. Adam Martin, Evan Matthews, and Ricky Ricavina, thank you very much for being here today, gentlemen. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Thanks for having us so much. For having us. <laughs> all right. Thank you, too. And thank you all for being here today. Don't forget, tonight we have a brand new Salacious Crumbs with all the latest Star Wars news. And on Friday, uh, guest Shauna Terpsik, the costume designer for The Mandalorian, will be here on the Ranker Pit. Also on Friday... Uh, our Doctor Who discussion, Tardis Sauce, at 1 p.m. Eastern. They'll be talking about the special, the holiday special that just aired on the BBC. And then, of course, Saturday, the latest news headlines wrapped up on Good Morning Multiverse. And Saturday afternoon, a new conversation about foreign horror. Tim and Leslie are going to South Korea this weekend to talk about horror from that country. All of that coming up this week here on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Tomorrow, here on this program, Sybil Lake 
And Tom Sizemore will be our guest, and they'll be talking about their new movie, Central Park Dark. And uh, we hope you join us for that. In the meantime, uh, feel free to take a look around at the other videos we have. If you're not subscribed yet, we do invite you to do so. And make sure you have your notifications turned on so you know when we upload or go live with new content. We have programs going throughout the week. And we do hope you join us and stick with us and uh, see what we have next because we've got some plans to take over the world ourselves for 2021. In the meantime, um, you know, we're on all the social media. Like, subscribe, share. If you've got feedback you want to send us, uh, suggestions for guests, our email address, live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you very much for being here, and we will be back with more tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.